Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to be here with all of you here in person. Good to be with all of you at home. Uh, we appreciate you on the online service so much. You know, back uh, about a year and a half ago when we started doing the online services, uh, Pastor Ryland told us that we were going to minister to the church gathered and the church scattered. And uh, he talked about the importance, the value of the ministry to both of those, the importance of the ministry to both of those. And so it's been thrilling for us over the last year or so to be able to do both, to be able to have services here live in person and to be also able to minister to people uh, online. Uh, this was driven home to me back in September. Uh, I got sick and uh, actually was in the hospital for about three days and, and had uh, th- about three weekends, maybe been four weekends, that I wasn't able to come to church. And so I watched the service online. And I'd watched it online before, but usually on a Tuesday or sometime just as kind of a whim. But all of a sudden for me, that became the way I went to church and uh, really valued that. And uh, one of the things I loved about it, the the terminology that that Ryland started using uh, when we started doing this was, he said, we're not doing a TV show. We're just trying to get people in the room. And so when you watch it, it's... The, it's designed to be like you're just in the room, and uh, and I honestly felt that, and uh, and then I got better. Didn't get well, but I got better, and I was able to come to church. And I remember coming that first uh, time. My wife and I came Saturday night, five o'clock, and, uh, and man, it was just so wonderful to be back in person, uh, in in the building, and the music live, and to be able to see people and the sounds and to smell the coffee. And I mean, it was just, and I, I really found that experience to be very healing for me. Uh, and that service, it was healing emotionally, it was healing spiritually. I believe it was healing fear, uh, physically. And I just sat in here and honestly, I just cried the whole hour because it, it was just so powerful. And, uh, uh, you know, our sister church, Saddleback Church, out in Orange County, California, uh, this weekend, uh, they're holding their first in-person, in-the-worship-center service. It's been 615 days since that church has been able to meet together. And I I tell you, they're blowing the roof off that dump today. They are celebrating uh, that opportunity for that worship. And I tell you this partly because next weekend is going to be our celebration weekend. And uh, over the years at Rockbrook, uh, typically in November, before we move into the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, uh, we do a celebration service. And in the past, we've done it as kind of a standalone night of worship, Sunday night, maybe on a Friday night. And, uh, and we'll pack this place out, fill it up with you know, 350, 400 people, and just have a great time. Well, this year we decided we want the whole church to be able to experience this. So we're going to do it in all four services next weekend, and we're going to do it in our online service uh, on Sunday. 
And so we got the choir coming, there's life change testimonies, there is great worship, excellent message. It's just gonna be, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to celebrate. And if, uh, if what Jesus, amen, if what Jesus has done for us isn't worth celebrating, I don't know what is. So uh, we're getting ready to pop the cork on this baby uh, next weekend. So we hope that you'll either be here in person or uh, you'll be able to watch it in the online service. So that's what's coming up. So today I get the privilege of closing out our series on 1 Peter. And uh, Pastor Ryland just walked us through uh, the book of 1 Peter. First week, uh, Peter shows us how trials reveal whether our faith is genuine or not. And then we looked at how we as Christians, we have a holy calling in an unholy world. We're called to be a peculiar people. And then we're on call to serve those who misunderstand and even mistreat us. And last week we looked at that because of our living hope in Christ, we can not escape, but we can endure opposition and even persecution. And then today, Peter wraps up his letter with how we are to handle ourselves in the world. Uh, he highlights a character quality that, we, that it will absolutely get you through. Uh, this, this character quality gets God's attention. God actually shows his favor on people who have this character quality. And it gets you on God's good side. Well, what is it? Let's look at it. 1 Peter 5, 5-7. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows his favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And notice it, it says, clothe yourselves with humility. Humble yourselves. You know, Peter's not talking about being humiliated by other people. You know, we've all had circumstances in life that humiliate us. Peter's not talking about what's done to us by other people. He's talking about a choice that we make to clothe ourselves with humility, to humble ourselves. And so every day, you and I, we face this test. The test is, are we going to exalt yourself or are you going to humble yourself? In every relationship, exalt myself humble myself. Every decision, exalt myself, humble myself. And, and most of us believe that humility is a good idea. But when it comes down to the moment of decision, the temptation is to choose to exalt ourselves rather than humble ourselves. And so today, well, I, I want you to see how humility is always more rewarding. And I want you to learn how to translate your desire for, for greatness. You're eager to exaltation. Uh, I want you to translate that into actions of humility and watch what that does for your life. Watch how it changes and impacts the world around you. And I'll tell you, get out your notes, get out your app, because you're going to want to take notes today, because this is going to be the greatest message on humility you have ever heard. Okay? <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I was a little nervous about that one. Uh, but if you, if you read through the Gospels, how many of you are watching the Chosen 
uh, TV video series on, on the, yeah, I, I love The Chosen. Uh, anybody been down to Branson to see the Jesus thing at the Sight and Sound Theater? Yeah, awesome. We saw that uh, a while back. And, uh, you know, you watch these presentations, read through the Gospels, and Peter is presented as a bold, brash, egotistical, stubborn, braggadocious person. And now we get to First Peter, and Later in his life, he's just exuding all this humility. You know, you read through First and Second Peter, I am always just struck with the tenderness that, with which Peter writes in those books. The pastor's heart that he's come to have. Well, who, who made that life change for Peter? Who taught him those lessons on humility? Well, it was Jesus Christ. In fact, there are four specific times when, when Jesus talks about humbling ourselves. And as Jesus taught those lessons, that Peter would have heard them. And he learned them, and he's passed them on to us. So first, Jesus teaches us how humility handles our ambition. How it handles our ambition. Uh, the, the disciples often argued about which one of them uh, is the greatest, and, and I just see great humor in that. I mean, here's Jesus Christ, God in the flesh in front of them, and these guys are arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Okay? Uh, Matthew 18, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I just, I, in my head, I just pictured Jesus going, I mean, have you guys been paying attention or what? But, but he doesn't do that. He, he called a little child to him, placed the child among them, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change, okay, you're, not, you're not doing the right, you've got to change and become like little children. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, notice that Jesus did not say, don't want to be the greatest in heaven. He didn't rebuke them for, for wanting to be the greatest in heaven. You know, it is not a bad thing for you to desire to excel spiritually. It's not a, a bad thing for you to desire to, to, to be great spiritually. Uh, Paul tells us that if, if you desire to be a spiritual leader, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't, don't try and be great in this kingdom of heaven. He says, if you want to be great, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. And you're going to have to change and humble yourself and become like this little child. Jesus didn't say, let humility wipe out your ambition. He says, let humility manage, direct, channel your ambition. If you want to be great, here's how. Be humble. Be like a child. Not childish. They were already doing that. Not childish. Childlike. And so we, we all face this, this daily test of humility. Are you going to exalt yourself and be demanding? Or are you going to make the choice to humble yourself and be depending? That, that's the difference. The difference between being childish and being childlike, the difference between being the way that the disciples were and being the way they ought to be, is that difference. You can be demanding. The disciples are demanding. I want to be first. I want to be the best. I want to be the greatest. No, you've got to depend upon God like a little child. Because one of the problems with demanding is, is that it looks like it works. 
And maybe you've known somebody in your life that has just been really demanding, and, and it looks like it works. It looks like they get their way. It looks like they get what they want. They go into a restaurant. They demand a good seat. They don't like the food. They send it back. Bring me something better. People scurry around and do stuff. Try and make them happy. You know, you, you can be demanding and, and, and look like you're a success. But if you watch over time, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Here's the problem. You can't demand the most important things in life. You can demand the little things in life, but you can't demand the most important things in life. You can't demand for a relationship to work. You cannot demand for yourself to be happy. You cannot demand that you're never going to be sick. You cannot demand the most important things in life. Demanding is tricky because it looks like it works. And it'll work on the little things, but it'll keep you from getting the most important things in life. And all of a sudden, you're trying to demand something important, like you're trying to demand for a relationship to work that's fallen apart, and it's not working because your demanding is driving you farther apart and you wonder what's wrong you can demand the little things you cannot demand the most important things in life and that's why Jesus says you got to be like this little child now yeah kids can be demanding but but if you look at kids what else are they kids are dependent they depend on their parents it's their job it's what they do you know, kids aren't anxious about whether or not they ought to be dependent on their parents. They just do it because that's the way they're wired up. And God wants you and me to realize that God has wired you up to depend on Him. And the secret to greatness is just to constantly ask God to meet your needs. Physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, relational needs. Unless you're depending on God to meet those needs, then you're dependent on yourself, and it's not going to work. Jesus says if you want to be great, you need to learn to be like a child and depend on your parent. Second thing he taught is how humility handles our need for notice. We, we all have a need to be noticed. We, you know, we all uh, have a need to have our uh, accomplishments acknowledged. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And he's saying this to a crowd of people who are struggling to be noticed. Because we all want to be noticed. You know, who doesn't enjoy being noticed once in a while? And it's easy for that to become a trap. It's the addiction of adulation. The need to be noticed every day in every circumstance in order to feel important. You walk down that road, that's exalting yourself. And Jesus says, if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. And, and he said this, this phrase to a specific group of people, uh, to a group of men called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious leaders in that day, and they loved to be noticed. They dressed to be noticed. They spoke in a way that got them noticed. Uh, they acted in a way that got them noticed. I mean, uh, they, they just were, did everything to draw attention to themselves. And Jesus says, don't be like that. 
Matthew 23, 5, he says, Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide. They love the place of honor at banquets and to have men call them rabbi. He says, Everything these guys do is for men to see. And then he gives some examples. He says, They make their phylacteries wide. What in the world is that? I mean, is this something in a National History Museum? You know, here we have the fossils of the pterodactyl and the phylactery. <laughs> and uh, no, uh, a phylactery, it's actually a little box, usually made out of leather, and it's about a two inch uh, cube. And you would open it up, and they would, they would take scrolls, little scrolls of, uh, of paper, and write Bible verses on them, roll those scrolls up, and then stick it in the phylactery, and then take that little cube, and it would have a long leather strap on it, and they would put that cube on their forehead and wrap the leather strap around their head. Or they would take it, and they would, they would put the cube on their hand, and then they would roll the strap up their arm. And what they were doing there is they were actually trying to be obedient to an Old Testament scripture that says to bind God's word on your head and on your heart. And so they were doing a physical thing, an outward appearance thing, for something that was supposed to be an internal spiritual truth. Well, then what happened is, is these guys would walk around with this box on their forehead, and then they'd spot another guy, and they'd go, hey, wait a minute, his box is bigger than my box. And so then they'd go home, and they'd make a little bigger box. And then they'd walk around, and then somebody'd spot them and go, hey, his box is bigger. So they'd go back, and they'd make, and Jesus said they made their phylacteries wide because they wanted people to notice how spiritual they were. He says, don't do that. Uh, I don't recommend the process either. Okay. He said they love the places of honor at banquets. They love the recognition. They loved... To, to have their name known. They wanted to be at the front table. They wanted to be noticed. And he says, they love to have men call them rabbi. And, and that's the love of titles. And some of you have worked 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 years in order to get a title. And, and some titles are important. Some titles can be a sign of respect. Some titles mean that you are entitled to serve other people. But when you start to love titles or live for titles, when you look to your title to make you important, to be noticed, you're walking on thin ice. That's a trap. You can exalt yourself. You need others' notice. Or you can humble yourself. And that's where you notice others' needs. Jesus says the way to cure yourself of the need to be noticed is to just start noticing other people's needs. Because a life focused on meeting your needs will never be a great life. Never be a great life. You know, they, they don't typically build statues to selfish people. You know, they, every great life is focused on meeting the needs of other people. And Jesus says that, that's, that's one of the pathways to greatness. Third thing that he taught Peter and that, and that Peter taught us is that humility handles our tendency to compare. Our tendency to compare. The problem with the disciples, the problem they had, and the problem we have, is that we equate first with being greatest. And so we're always comparing. 
You know, we look at this person and that person and think, okay, so am I ahead, am I behind? What's my position here? And Jesus was at a dinner party and, and he saw how they equated first with best. And he sees the dinner table and it's set up in a U. There's a head table and then there's tables that go down. And so there's a head table with the host and next to them, the guest of honor. And if you were the greatest one at the party, that, that's where you would sit. And as the U went around, not only was there a head table and a seat of honor, but there was also a foot of the table and there was a seat where the lowest person in the party sat. And so when people would come in to the banquet, what do they do? Well, they begin to scope out the situation and then they begin to jockey for the best spot and think, well, you know, if I'm not gonna be able to be the guest of honor, then maybe I can sit next to the guest of honor or maybe I can be third from the guest of honor or maybe I can, and they, they're playing musical chairs with their egos, trying not to be the one who's left in the lowest seat. Jesus said, when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the test. Are you going to exalt yourself? That, that's getting the upper hand. Or are you going to humble yourself, and that's taking the lowest spot? Now, I'd be happy to take the lowest spot if I knew someone was going to come in, tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, move on up to here, move up to the seat of honor. I'd be glad to take the lowest spot every time. But what if I take the lowest spot and I get stuck there? And I see somebody sitting in a higher spot or maybe even in the guest of honor spot and I think, well, you know what, I know them and I'm better than them, what are they doing up there and I'm doing down here? As, as we grow spiritually, we kind of move through a phase of this comparing and competing with one another. There's really kind of three phases to it. And, and the first phase is that we're striving for the top spot. You know, I, I want to run with the big dogs. I, I want to be the top spot. That's where I want to be because that's going to make me feel important. And then we mature into a phase where we think, you know, I'm, I'm willing to take the lowest spot. But I'm hoping that it's going to get me to a higher spot. If I sit here, maybe I'll get invited up to a higher spot. And then there's a third phase, and that's where you just become equally comfortable with the lowest spot or the highest spot. Because it really doesn't matter who we think is first. We just realize, you know, if I'm stuck at the bottom, this is where God may just want me to be. And there may be somebody sitting next to me at the bottom that I can talk to that I couldn't talk to if I was sitting up there. And I can make an impact in their life and they can make an impact in my life and God may have a reason for me being here. You know, I may not have to be such a phony if I'm sitting at the bottom. I may just be able to be myself. And God can use me. God can use me down here. God can use me up there. Now, what, is, what does that mean in everyday life? It means don't waste a second of your life worrying about who's first. 
In the end, all this competition doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because in the end, God is first. God's first. Now, there may be some of you, as you hear this, you're, you're thinking, man, he is really whacked out. I mean, he's crazy because I'm wired for competition. I love competition. I enjoy competition. I mean, pastor, don't take that away from me. That's the way I'm wired up. And I'll tell you, if you're wired for competition, if God wired you up that way, I'm not telling you to deny the way you're wired. If you're wired for competition, be competitive. But be competitive about something different than you being first. Okay? Because in the end, that's a pretty small goal. Instead, if God wired you up to be competitive, be competitive about being the best husband, the best wife, the best mom, the best dad, the best worker, the best neighbor, the best friend, the best church member. Use the way God made you. Enjoy the way God made you to fulfill His purpose for your life. And instead of comparing and competing and jockeying for what seat I'm going to be in, just wipe all that out. And just say, God, whatever seat you put me in, I'm going to make a difference for you. Jesus says that's the path to greatness. Fourth, Jesus taught us that humility handles our relationship with God. Jesus told this story at a dinner party, and it's a story about a proud Pharisee and a sinful tax collector. And those are the stereotypes of these, these two groups of people. If you think of the Pharisees, you think of them as being proud, hypocritical religious leaders. If you think of tax collectors, you think of them as being sinful. The Jews viewed them as traitors to their own people uh, because they were taking taxes for the oppressive Roman government. They viewed them as thieves because they would charge higher taxes and keep the money in order to enrich themselves. Tax collectors, are, they're totally hated and despised. So we've got these two stereotypical characters. We've got the proud and haughty Pharisee and we've got this center of a tax collector. Now look at the audience for this story. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now I want you to notice that, that, that Jesus, Jesus condemns this guy, rebukes this guy. But it's not because he fasted twice a week and tithed. I mean, Jesus commands us in other places to fast and to tithe. So what, what's the problem for this guy? It, it was not the actions that he did. It's that he stood up in front of the, the temple like a big proud Pharisee and boasted about it. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
If you put yourself above others, you'll be put down. If you humble yourself, you're going to be honored. And so when it comes to our relationship with God, the, the test is, am I going to exalt myself? Am I going to do it yourself? You know, I'm, I'm going to make this relationship with God work on my own energy, my own strength, my own good works. I'll do it myself. Look what I can do. Look at how good I am. Look at me. But the decision to humble yourself, that's a decision to trust God. Do it yourself, trust God. It's a test. And do it yourself religion, it's just all on your own shoulders. It's all based on what you do. And in the end, what this, all this Pharisee had, all the Pharisee had was look at me. Look at me, God. I'm better than so-and-so. Look at me. But the tax collector said, God, I need your mercy. I need your mercy. And I would echo that. God, I need your mercy. I need your mercy every day. I need your forgiveness for the sins I know I've committed and for the sins that I'm not even aware of. I'm a sinner who needs God's mercy. If you want to live a great life, never forget that. And Peter certainly lived a great life. And near the end of his life, in 1 Peter 5, he says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. You know, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Listen, humility is not putting myself down. Humility is lifting God up. Humility is not talking about how bad I am. That's actually false humility. You know, if, if, if somebody is just talking, oh, oh, I'm just such a worm, oh, I'm so terrible, oh, I'm... That, that, that's just false humility, which is the, the reverse side of pride. You're just drawing attention to yourself for how horrible you are. No, humility is just being honest about my strengths and my weaknesses. It's being honest about who God is, His strengths, His goodness, what he can do in our life. So let me give you a warning as you go out and try and do this this week. Don't try to feel humble. Humility is not a feeling that we pursue. It, it's actions that we do. Because humility is not aware of itself. If you're trying to feel humble, you become so aware of yourself that you're not humble anymore. You try to feel humble, and then you start to feel a little humble, and all of a sudden you feel proud about humble, how humble you are. You know, it's a trap. Don't try to feel humble. That's not how you do this. It doesn't work. Just act humble, whether you feel like it or not. Don't walk out of here feeling bad about yourself. Walk out of here thinking, what's one positive act of humility I can do this week? What ambition could you give to God? Whose needs do you need to notice this week? Where do you need to honor God, even if you're in the lowest seat? Where in your life do you need to trust and depend on God? And just imagine the incredible freedom of humility, free from the need to be noticed, free from worrying about what seat you're sitting in, free to trust God and just live out His ambition for your life.
That's what Jesus and Peter call us to. Let's pray. I'd invite you to begin by just humbling yourself and trusting Christ with your life. Just say, Jesus Christ, I, w- I want to trust you with my life. And I need your mercy and forgiveness. I confess my sins to you. I ask you to cleanse me of them. And then I need to depend on you for the power, the strength, the ability to walk humbly before other people, to walk humbly before my God this week. Thank you for the freedom that we can find in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.